plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected. Minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to a new episode of Warriors Plus Minus with the gang all here, Tim Kawakami, Ethan Strauss, Anthony Slater, and we here are striving for mediocrity. Yes, we win some and we lose some and we usually alternate. Isn't that how it goes, Anthony Slater? I actually think that the... We're better than mediocre, and now's the time to prove it. Is that what you're saying? Clobber the bad podcasts, and we lose to the good ones. Yeah, think probably. That's fair. fair statement. I think the Warriors <laughs> have a chance to break this uh, trend. I th- Ooh, well, I think optimism. it's partly the schedule. Well, they're not. Yeah, they're not playing. They're playing the East, up, so. which, by the way, I mean, I know I put this stat out last night. Only three teams in the East are over 500. Yo, that was insane to read that. <laughs> like, I literally went to the standings yeah. to make sure. That's like a Rubik's cube math problem riddle that that can even happen. I have Warriors fans who are like, oh, they're worried about the Warriors not getting that top 20 protection. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like in the 11th place in the West. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, 11th place in the West is like 13th overall. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. If they get their goal, which is like maybe 5-6 seed, and the East is what it looks like it's going to be, they might not protect that pick. You know, they might have the ninth best record even though they're the fifth sixth and it's just you know the conference imbalance i think the west is overrated this year i voiced that i know marcus has voiced that and i i still maintain that the meat of the west is not what it was but the conference imbalance doesn't really seem to be changing i mean the indiana pacers are the four seed at 14 and 14 it honestly does give a little perspective that like as 500 and averages the warriors have felt everyone in the league besides just a small handful of teams really is it's jumbled. I think it has something to do with what this season is like and how hard it is to have any kind of continuity. So you got to maintain some perspective that as frustrating as the season has been, I think especially for Warriors fans who are used to caviar and filet mignon of the last half decade before you know the, the tanking season, quite frankly, uh, you do need to step back and you do need to have some perspective and go, I don't think they're out of expectations range at the same time i would say that game on saturday very disappointing that was a very disappointing outcome it seemed like that was their chance to maybe make some noise announce themselves as a legit playoff team get some momentum and it was before a big audience would have been a lot bigger if the game added up to something and it just felt like nope the warriors are in purgatory and that's how they're going to be for a while Brooklyn's a bad matchup for them, maybe the worst, uh, you know, because particularly lately, because um, they've been using the small to beat the big, and Brooklyn isn't big, and Steve Nash and Kevin Durant, as bad as that Brooklyn defense will be in some matchups, they kind of knew a lot of the Warriors' sets, right? The stuff they just killed Cleveland on last night, Brooklyn just kind of blew it up. I mean, it's why Steph didn't really get going like he has. Look, they're not among that elite. You could line them up against Brooklyn. The Lakers, if the Lakers actually care that night. The Clippers, if they care that night. All those teams. Yeah, Utah. Oh, yes, Utah. And they're just, they're not as good. Um, We've definitely learned that early in the season. But the thing is, that group is small. They're not a title contender. We know that. If you told me that they they gained enough of a rhythm and 
you know, somehow got the fifth seed in the West, I wouldn't be stunned at this point. One thing we're learning is that they really are a good measuring stick. It doesn't really help the Warriors, but it does help the way to look at the league. And I'm looking at this Miami game coming up. It's like, you know, Miami struggled. We know that they were a finals team in the bubble. They should be better than their record. Things haven't come around. They've had some issues. Clearly, Jimmy Butler in and out of the lineup. But if the Warriors get slaughtered by them, Miami's probably pretty good. If the Warriors beat them, I'm going to say Miami's not very good. It's just such a clean line, I think, with these guys. And I haven't done the record yet, but I, uh, and I've said they're, they're good against bad. They're bad against good. And it's kind of played out. And they're really bad. They cannot stay on the court with the Brooklyn Nets. They cannot do it. There's not, a lot of teams can't. But if you're looking at the Warriors as a top 10 team, which is still hard for me to imagine in, in, in the terminology that we normally tend, I don't feel like they're a top 10 team because they do get blown out by these teams. We're not seeing them in their blow for blow against Utah, against you know the, the great teams. They do have the wins over the Lakers and the Clippers, but th- those are to, kind of to the side. Against the really good teams, and maybe Miami is going to be one of those, they're not on the same court. And we'll, we'll see tomorrow. We'll see Wednesday, let's just say that, and, and just to, to give it a timeline here. And if they can stay on the court with a struggling Miami team, then then maybe they go up a little bit in our minds, and maybe they can be a top ten team, which would have Warriors fans a little worried because they might lose that pick. It is hilarious the way this line that they're treading with these draft picks and with the way they're playing and with Steph playing the way he is and the second unit sometimes not. It is this is really the interesting kind of weaving line that we have not experienced watching the Warriors in a long time. Let me propose an idea. Have we all been premature by saying they aren't a title contender? Whoa. First off, we're looking at... No, listen, listen. Now, this don't is listen. a take. Oh, here now we, this go. Is here a we take. go. Like, we don't know what the playoff scenario will be. They're about to host a team in Miami who basically got hot at the right time. And you just don't know what could happen with COVID protocols, with no fans. Is it ri- ridiculous to say that if this team gets in the playoffs... They could make a run since there is only like four or five teams better than them. They don't have to play all of them in the playoffs. They just need to get hot and beat a couple teams that they can beat and hopefully knock off one of them teams and they're in the West Finals or the NBA Finals. But the thing is the Heat had guys who could get hot. This is like lighting a wet cigar. I mean, how is it going to happen? Who's gonna get rolling? You know what I mean. You've Michael Mulder is gonna t- he's gonna be turning into Duncan Robinson. Come on now. And uh, you didn't know Duncan uh, Robinson was Duncan Robinson <laughs> until he was Duncan Robinson, though. You didn't know Tyler Hero was Tyler Hero until he became Tyler Hero. Justinian Jessup says Duncan Robinson is his <laughs> model, so maybe they gotta. Maybe Jessup is the answer to what you're saying, Marcus. And we're talking about. I also don't think the Heat blew up because of offense either. They were incredible defensively. I'm just saying. Look, I'm part of it too. Like, yo, they're one round and out. Like, what's the point when we're literally watching a mediocre league that why can't they go on a run? I'm just saying, are we just writing it off too prematurely when we're watching these other teams really look vulnerable? I like this take. I'm going to give MT a lot on this. You look at the other teams and you go, okay, there's not a lot out there. But I also see like Boston has got, you know, Boston has this incredible amount of talent that at some point that talent's going to show up. MT, I think you, I don't think Warriors going to beat Utah four times in a seven game series. That's not happening. No. So there's, there's some, there's some hard stops I'm going to take on some of this, but I'll just go this way. I mean, we all, Steph's having an incredible season, but who's, who's, who's the Warriors fourth best player? Who's the Warriors fourth best player? Kelly Oubre. I'm going to match that up with almost every other team in the NBA. In the top team in the NBA, say Warriors, 
they, they're going to have trouble with that. Justinian and, Jessa. Know, they're, they're, they're the de- yeah, the depth is just not there. To but, but who are the teams that you're right, can't beat? Do. Okay, I'll Lakers, tell you right now in a seven-game series. Utah. Yeah, potentially yeah. without Anthony Davis, it's a question. It it's a question. It's a question. But to be fair to Marcus's point, that's part of this year. That's the point. That's the part of this year. They can suffer injuries too and have. I mean, you know, that's all part of it for them. Okay. All right. Well, teams that at this point I would say they can't be in the playoffs: Lakers, Clippers, Jazz. You know, Nuggets are teetering on that line. They don't look that great lately, so we will not put them in that group. We'll say for now: Sixers, Nets. I think we've East seen. don't matter. Bucks. East don't matter. If they get to the finals, <laughs> they've won. If they make the final, none of those teams matter because they'd have to make the finals. You're saying Miami Heat. You're saying Miami Heat. Yes, and absolutely. Is, How yeah, could they? They could fit. be the Miami Heat. It's funny. I'm against Marcus's take in that I just don't think they're good enough. But I also don't necessarily think that any of these teams are unbeatable, other than Utah. And just it's more an indictment Lakers, on everybody else than it yeah. is. Like, yeah. If the Lakers are healthy, of course, they have no shot. But we're already seeing this issue play out with Anthony Davis, and we don't know. And if they don't have Anthony Davis, then, man, who knows? The Clippers, how much do I believe in the Clippers? I don't know, right? So I see nah, where Marcus is coming from. we know you don't believe from. in the Clippers. <laughs> I see we where know. Marcus is coming from. I don't think baseline one guy trying to have one guy effectively win these playoff series, it's a lot to ask. I already think that they're risking a lot by how much they put on Steph. I'll put it this way, to sort of put a capper on what Marcus is saying. I think they need to make a move to do it. I think they need to make a trade in order to get to that puncher's chance. Well, that's kind of my point. Like, do you do do they write off a move? You know what I'm saying? Are you like, nah, so, we're so just we, developing? So what, I don't think they write yeah, so what, off What are we move. talking about the move, Ethan? What's the move? Probably have to trade that Minnesota pick, I think. Now, for I, what, I haven't. What, for, well, for that's what? the thing. I have not gone through it. I mean, that's the question. The, the hard needle to thread. Going at Jared Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that is the spot that they couldn't make the most improvement is an initiator on the second unit and someone who can play with Steph when Steph comes back in. But Jordan, Jordan Poole, 32 <laughs> in the G. I told you yeah. about Jordan Poole. That is the improvement. Now, how much of an improvement is it really? But it would really, you know, it would add depth to what they have. It would add depth to the rotation. I don't think it puts them into the, in any kind of challenging place for the Utah Jazz. But, yeah, if they make a big upgrade there, and I'm not saying that Jared Jack couldn't be it. I'm just saying if they do then I am going to start to have some of this conversation make more sense to me. Uh, at the moment, I, and I, you know, I mean, what would it take for them to beat the Utah Jazz, really? I mean, Steph going for 46 a, a game, that's tough to say. Also, when they have a starting lineup where three-fifths of them, their fans wince every time they take a shot. Three-fifths of them. They have two players, Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins. And Wiggins isn't a sure thing either. So yeah, they he's, have He's wince-worthy lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically have 21 out of their five starting players do fans want to shoot. And I think Steve Kerr might agree with that. It's a tough way to go when you're a really good team. It's it's a kind of amazing they've played this well with that starting lineup. Now it's it's a, you know, makeshift starting lineup, no question. Uh, we'll see what they do when the centers come back. I have a feeling they're not going to play them a ton, but they will play centers. But th- basically you have Draymond Green, Kelly Oubre, Juan Toscano Anderson, and mostly Andrew Wiggins who Fans and maybe the coaching staff don't really want to see shoot that much. That's a tough place to be for to be a really good team. This is a soft part of the schedule yeah. too. Yeah. Oh no. I think I think they I think they're going to pile up some wins and people are going to start talking about this. It was like what they've just done. I mean, like the Spurs. Uh, <laughs> the Spurs actually have a pretty good record. I just don't think they're that good. Uh, Magic, obviously, very winnable. Cavs. Were I was winnable. joking about Jessup, but 
maybe call him <laughs> up, man. Like, maybe see. Like, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea if he's going to be any good or not. But maybe, I mean, this is the need. It's shooting. He can handle. He's just, just thinking about stories. He's thinking about stories here. <laughs> Let him explore himself in Australia, finish out that contract, see him in summer league, like play the long game with Jessup. There are upgrades that I could see that will be on the trade market this year. George Hill is a name that just screams at me as like you talk about a backup point guard who can shoot, spread the floor, can defend some. But the problem is like he's a salary slot that you'd almost have to lose Ubre for maybe. And you would have to put an asset in. And I just don't think they're in the year. Unless they're getting somebody that we're talking about, like helping them in the next five years win a title, I don't think they should be spending the Minnesota asset to get a win-now help for this season only. That's why the Ubre for Lonzo, whatever that was, that made sense because, Lon- you know, they... You if know, it was straight yeah, they, up, they, yeah. That's, that's a guy who could help now and maybe into the future. Now, you'd lose something defensively, and, and Ubre is a tough guy. I mean, I, I respect the stuff that he does other than shooting, and his shooting has certainly been better. But I think, you know, just a, a, somebody who could play with that second unit. I'm in favor of trading Ubre just because I don't think Ubre and Wiggins works long term. I just don't think that's going to be something that they can do. I don't think that's the road you to mean success. As teammates, like or like they could never be on the same team together because Ubre will not be playing with Wiggins when Clay comes back. Well, yeah, I know what you're talking about in terms of. Like I was about to say on the team, I don't think that's something that will work. I don't think that gets Clay what he needs. I think, I think you can't really go Wiggins, Ubre, Clay. But why would you? That's what I'm saying. Like Kelly comes goes to the bench when Clay comes back. Like they're not all three going to be in the starting lineup. I just think they have other needs. He'd be fine as a bench piece, uh, you know, compared to nothing. And if he walks in unrestricted free agency, it's nothing. And the thing is, he's probably going to get a decent amount of money because there's a lot of cap space out there. He does some appealing stuff to think that he'll at least get double-digit million a year for a few-year contract. Would the Warriors want to match that? Would Ubre even want to say he's unrestricted? He can just leave if he doesn't think he fits the system. The appeal of Ball was you have his restricted free agency rights, so you can, if it does work, you can always decide to match. You control that. You know, to me, the only way you put Minnesota pick on the table is if a Beal type situation formulates, and it hasn't. Washington continues to say they're not trading him. We've had the conversation on if it would even be worth it to give it, it all up for him. But that, to me, is the only time it even becomes a conversation if we are talking about a player that is a clear perennial all star. It's got to be something that says, okay, the Warriors are a title contender now. And that, yeah, Beal is it. And it's going to take more than the Minnesota pick. I mean, people start screaming when I say it's more, it's Wiseman in the pick, and I wouldn't do it. We haven't talked about Wiseman for a while because he hasn't played for a while, but he's still part of this. He's like getting him back in there at some point and figuring out where he fits with Steph and Draymond, not with Steph and Draymond, is a part of this. And we don't know. And that was, wasn't that what we were saying at the beginning of the season? If Wiseman is really good at the end of the season, then the Warriors are really an interest if they can get to the playoffs with Wiseman on an upswing then let's see what happens in the playoffs there there's that's an x factor that's I don't know and then what that will tell you about the next season's even larger so I, I think they need that other guy that everyone doesn't you know wince when he shoots the ball or even when he has the ball in his hands and they've got too many of those guys right now I mean Bazemore is like their third best offensive player right now it's it, it's a and I'm not ripping Bazemore. He's been good. It's just this spot they're in where they have one incredible player that defenses sometimes can't figure out what to do against. Sometimes they can. And that tilts the floor for them against bad teams. 
I don't think that's going to work in a, in a playoff series or, or against a good team or even on a good team on a night. Let's see if, if, if Steph blows up Miami because we know how well coached they are. We know they have athletes. Then then maybe the discussion changes. But it's, it's tough for me to see that this lineup, this offensive, you know, unbalanced, which is really fun to watch. I'm not saying it isn't can get them three rounds in the playoffs. I just, it's really hard to see that. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ethan, you were saying you don't think Ubre is uh, long term. Like, explain that. I, I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear your explanation. I think it's too many guys who need the ball, and also he doesn't really fit with how the offense runs. He's shooting a lot better, which I think makes him easier to potentially trade. But he's never really gotten it. He's never really shared the ball in the way that this offense needs. He's starting to back cut a little bit, a little bit, which is like hey, somebody taught him the back cut there, or he's watching JTA do it. Like I think that is helping. Like wait a minute, this guy is getting all these dunks. I can do the same thing when Steph comes and screens for me. Maybe that is the argument for having Ubre longer term, is he's going to absorb more of that. But I just don't. I don't think that's going to be a great fit. I do think decision time is coming on Ubre and it makes sense to me because I don't think that that's their, your best pathway. I think you have other needs to address. I think if you could get something for Ubre because he's been playing better and shooting better, it wouldn't be the worst idea right now. That's my position. Again, a lot of what's out there and like the Warriors need to do this is like uh, there's an unawareness of what's actually available to them. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure what Ubre would fetch. If I'm New Orleans, particularly the way that Lonzo's been playing lately. I wouldn't trade Lonzo Ball and his restrictive free agency. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it before Ubre. he was playing like this. I don't. I didn't quite get that. And then if I'm the Warriors, I'm not adding a pick to Ubre because it's just they just shouldn't sacrifice any more future assets this season. To, to be honest, I just don't think there's a big move to be made this season. I think save the bullets, save the patience for the summer when a lot more bigger roster moves a lot of time are made, not more like panic ones uh, in the season. Um, there's more, much more flexibility to make different moves, particularly around draft time. The argument is cash out on the Minnesota pick while it looks appealing because maybe the Wolves protect it or maybe they go on a run and it becomes the 11th pick. But also, you know, what if you do go to lottery night and you do thread that needle and then you do have the fourth or fifth pick, then you really potentially have something to offer. Hey, here, do you want Jalen Suggs instead of just like this? She's obscure played, you know, Minnesota we have we've talked about these having these two picks. What if, there's a chance they get no picks in this this first round that would be something uh yeah i don't think warriors fans want to hear that but if again i'm hearing all about this top 20 protection and i've wiped it off and then i went i went back and did the math and went whoa uh there is a chance the warriors are not a lot over 500 finish even sixth in the west and that pick is not protected it has to be delivered to, to oklahoma city one thing about that pick if they do protect it, they owe Minnesota's second rounder. And if they don't protect it, so if it goes, let's say this scenario plays out, they would have had the 21st pick. They have to give it to the Thunder. They then retain Minnesota's second rounder, which you know probably be like 34 or something. I mean, like you obviously would prefer 21, 22 over 34, but that allows them to keep a very valuable second round pick, a very early second round pick. 
Warriors, Warriors fans sometimes are onto stuff, and they were onto this before I was. They, the Warriors are playing that right there with their own pick, and it's a little scary for Warriors fans. I'll put it that way. It's good. It's not a top ten pick, but it's a pick in a in a loaded draft that was going to help them or could help them. Let's say they have the six and the twenty one. And maybe six and twenty-one can get you to four. You know, whatever. It's it's those kind of things that are, are part of this discussion. I just want to throw that in there. Slater, you were you wrote about Draymond and his assists, and Draymond also he took a player empowerment stance with his uh, rant last night. All of this seems like signs to me that Draymond is fully engaged. He's fully back. He's finally healthy and in shape. Is this good for the Warriors that? Draymond is talking and all that, you know, just just in it. It, it kind of work against your plan, right, to save these picks. <laughs> it's better than about 36 hours ago when he was clutching his oh, knee God, for about yeah. a minute on the ground. Uh, and you were like, um, is he out for the year? Um, but, you know, it's this whole knee lockup situation that he has, which, by the way, is, like, very odd. I asked Steve Kerr if he'd ever heard of it. He said no. And we're talking about a guy who's been in basketball for however long. Yes, it's very good for the Warriors. I mean, the offense is still... He's having like this really... I put it in my article. He's having this really odd season that only Muggsy Bogues and Nate McMillan have done where he's averaging fewer than six points and more than seven assists. Um, He has more assists than points, which he's never done. Like We obviously know what type of player he is, but this is just very different. And then this month has been... Uh, he's basically doubling his assists. I mean, he's averaging uh, almost 12 assists per game in February. There's many factors for it. Uh, some matter more than others. Yes, he's feeling better. Steph Curry has led to so many of those assists for two reasons. Pretty much every time he sets up Steph Curry for a three, Steph Curry's hitting it right now. Um, and then the slips to the basket that are completely Curry-created. Draymond is almost always the passer on those situations, and all he has to do is just throw it over to a wide-open cutter for a dunk. But then also... He's playing center, and that's to me like the larger point here. Like the floor is very open for him. He is playing his best basketball of the season as the five man. Wiseman, who does not have its brace on his left wrist anymore, I think is is coming back pretty soon. Looney's getting a reevaluation tomorrow. His ankle tweak wasn't super severe, so he's probably back pretty soon. Steve Kerr has said they will have big lineups. There's clearly times and matchups we know they need big lineups. James Wiseman needs to be developed. But they need to find center minutes for Draymond Green. That's to me what's you know shined mostly in February. I don't think it's any coincidence that Steph's gone crazy without a center on the floor. I mean, I think he was playing well going into it, but it opens it up. It just allows it to be Draymond at the top and Steph go run around. You run over there, run over there, run over there, and Draymond's going to hit it you over there. Uh, there's just no other barriers to that. And guys are back cutting, screening, back cutting, screening, back cutting. I think you can't live long without a center in, in today's NBA, but the Warriors might disprove that. Uh, they've done it in three-minute, four-minute, eight-minute bursts in dynasty years. Maybe they're going to do it for longer than that. It just seems to work. It's the Draymond Steph without a center thing that is <laughs> that is what's opened this up. And it's Draymond being the quarterback, you know, absolutely take the ball. Marcus, he's taking the ball out of Mark, uh, out of Steph's hands, though. Can you possibly support that? Is it Steph off the ball? No good? Was it good in Brooklyn? Was it good against Brooklyn? <laughs> it was not. <laughs> well, not, not it, when it Kevin not. Durant was jumping out on not. the switches. Yeah. yeah, Not not when they've got those guys jumping out like crazy. But it, it does work. They don't, it's like the old Warriors. Like you, you try to run your old stuff against Andre and Kevin and Livingston and that kind of or play any that good length. defense. They, they Utah, just stopped it because right, like they yes. know they know what's happening. Yes, yes. 
this stuff is running against Cleveland and you know all Orlando and these teams that are just completely dead. There's a lot of them, but it didn't run against the Knicks too well, by the way. So you know we'll see. It's it's great. It's fun. It didn't run against the Knicks, who's coached by a guy who used to kick it at Warriors practices when he didn't have a job, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Ron Adams, good friend, but I think that they're going to have to carve out minutes just because it sets Steph so loose and it lets Draymond just run. He's he's pointing things out. He's just like you got to go over there, and, you, and then Steph's gonna end up over there. Boom. That has to be maintained. It just you know, may not be as long, as extended as we're seeing now. It won't be when the centers come back. So, Slater, why doesn't this mean trade Wiseman? What are you getting for James Wiseman would be my first question. I mean, do you know unless you shop him? <laughs> first of all, you don't shop him you, you, unless a star becomes available. I don't think James Wiseman. I, 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 this was a joking question. I mean, I was joking, but there's a lot of people who are like, trade Wiseman win now, right? Trade Wiseman win now. And if you're watching them play well without a center and Draymond and Steph are better without a center. Are you trading him for like a seventh man who can like, you know, do what JTA does, but a little bit better. And like, you're okay with trading like this golden asset that might down the road, get you a Bradley Beal or Hey, might turn into a franchise center. No, you shouldn't do that. It's just like why they shouldn't have traded the second pick for Marcus Smart right before the draft, because... I mean, would you trade James Wiseman for Marcus Smart right now, theoretically? Absolutely not. I'm not trading James Wiseman, but... <laughs> Marcus Smart is a very helpful playoff piece that would make the Warriors better in the playoffs this season, but you're not expending the Wiseman asset or the future of potentially having James Wiseman. It's too much downside risk. I mean, that's the thing that people don't take into account is if you're Bob Myers and Wiseman becomes what you believe he will become and have said he'll become... I mean, you just wear that around your neck for like two decades. That's just too much downside risk. It could be the right decision. It could to trade Wiseman for somebody who helps them right now. But the downside risk is immense. And you would better know that you're competing for a title in the way that the Cavs were competing for a title when they traded Wiggins way back in the day, rookie Wiggins, if you're going to do something like that. Because it's it's just too risky. It's not even just the downside risk of what if you trade Wiseman and he becomes an all-NBA center. It's also what could you have traded him for later that you used it on now and then suddenly, you know, Giannis is like extremely unhappy and forcing his way out in, you know, a season and a half, but you just don't have the asset anymore. Also, the biggest question the rest of the season for me is like when they do bring Wiseman back in, you know, they've talked about it. Steph's talked about him, you know, wanting to see Wiseman, you know, work into this fluid system and Looney's talked about sitting on the bench and when you know JTA makes those slip cuts when he gets even near Steph Curry and they double Curry he's saying hey look those slips are open for you too you know it's not just a small ball forward thing like James Wiseman who will have a big on him who will be told to jump out on Steph Curry can do that and he has a large catch radius and as we've seen a large dunk ability so I think the first few weeks of Wiseman back will be interesting to see if they can do a lot of what they've still been doing with their fast athletic future center of the future. And that's important. I think fans are a little impatient with them too. <laughs> fans being impatient. Shocking. I just think if you're talking about how do the Warriors match up with the better teams, which they do not right now, there's a few different ways, but one of them they have on the roster is James Wiseman gets good. You know, that that's how it happens. And he's younger than their core. So he extends the core you know, we're talking about what Draymond is playing right now, but, you know, Draymond could go into a funk. He could get banged up. He's certainly not young, and you want to extend that, and that's with a guy like James Wiseman. I, I told a member of the executive staff last week, he's like, he's like a perfect pick right now for you guys. Not that he's perfect player. He's not that, 
but he's young, he's at a position you desperately need, and he plays differently than the rest of your guys. And we've all seen the Steph Draymond thing. It's re- it destroys, you know, mediocre to bad teams. It's can be effective against good teams. It can also be shut down. They got to play different. They got to have a different thing going on here with that, and in a way that they've had with David West, or they did, you know, whatever. We can name the other ways that they've had that have been a little bit different. Wiseman's a little bit different, and he's 19, and he can put the ball in the basket, and he can possibly protect the rim. And I just don't see like, as you said, not, maybe not even a seventh man. You trade him for a fifth best player. I don't see where you get the value there. I think the value's in what he can fit down the road, how he can change them down the road. And just because he's hurt doesn't mean that we forget about him. I think it just means that you can imagine him trying to adapt in, in larger roles in a way that, you know, JTA can't do, in a way that Kevon Looney can't do. Uh, and, and I'm going to be the one who says, just keep him and hold on to him. And you don't trade him unless you're a get a for sure superstar at the right position. And and I don't see that trade being available. You're just going to kill it like that, huh? You're just going to kill it like, just gonna kill it like that. Down, huh? You're kill it like that. Yeah, brought it all down. Brought it all <laughs> so I was going down. through some numbers, and Steph, if he if he keeps his current rate, the rate that he had, he's at in February, is at like 6.43s per game over the last 44 games. He's on pace to make 423s. In seventy-two, <laughs> In 72 games? games, holy Jesus! <laughs> he could he could sit two games at this current pace of what he's in in February. He could sit two games and make four hundred and two, which would match twenty uh, fifteen sixteen. Remember when we were talking about him making four hundred? And it was like no way he can't make that. What it was four hundred? It was like can you make three hundred? That was the question because the record was what two seventy eight. Yeah, that I think season. so. Yeah, it was like can you make three hundred? Oh yeah, I could probably make three hundred. Can you make four? Oh god! I thought I exactly know. that. Where I was thinking, could he get to four hundred? Of course, he can't get to four hundred. Like I mean, <laughs> I've said this before, but um, how how realistic is this to continue? I mean, this is. I mean, it, it literally is insane. He's shooting fifty five percent from the field and fifty percent from three, over like the last thirteen games. I mean, it's it's kind of nuts. Is this Slater? I know you saw it. He sums up with his knee. He was limping. He was holding his left leg kind of behind it. He had a Band-Aid on it a couple of I wonder if at ago. some point they got to get him a rest. I was about to say, the be- the the best Steph Curry stat for the Warriors this season is his games. games played. Yeah, he has not missed one game. Should they get him a rest? Yes. I don't I mean, Cleveland was the game. <laughs> you, you should... <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You that is a that is the Super Bowl. You know, you need those wins. Well, the game would, was Brooklyn. Ah, nah, oh, you can't you know? do that. Oh, you that would be that. a great troll. You can't do that. Adam Silver would have called <laughs> Ethan and said, "You cannot sit him, Ethan. You cannot sit him here." Are we talking about correct strategy though? Because correct strategy is you play an elite team who you're like Steph Curry can go for you know 40 and you might lose and you sit him then if you think he needs a rest which by the way remember last week we're having this talk about like play him 40 minutes so it's like kind of we were not having that talk nobody's having that talk (laughs) I don't want to do it again I was thinking you rest him against a team that that you could win without him that's what I was thinking. Okay, oh, what but team is they that? Might have yeah. Lo- yeah, what if they lost last night? Like, Okay, let's say Steph Curry doesn't play last night. Do you think they beat the Cavs? I don't know that they do. They are kind of in a bind with it because whenever they play a good team, it's on TV. I mean, the, the NBA has really overloaded the schedule towards teams that get eyeballs. The Warriors are really one of the three teams, if not two teams, that does it. And 
I mean, the NBA is different from other sports with the NFL. Uh, the difference between a game that's a real draw, you know, a Cowboys, for instance, and name another regular team, um, it's there, but it's not pronounced. With the Warriors, I mean, you look at some of these cable ratings, it's like twice the audience when the Warriors are playing on TNT and ESPN than when, frankly, Milwaukee, Milwaukee's been in some 700,000 viewership games, by the way, recently, which is... Again, I'm a little, it's a niche topic. I'm fascinated by America's lack of fascination with Giannis. And it is, it's extreme. I think the last couple of games he's played on TNT or ESPN, it's in the 700,000s. Whenever it's the Warriors, it's going to be over a million. I mean, without exception. And depending on the opponent, it can get up to that 1-6, range. So they don't really have these opportunities against a team they know they're going to get beat by where they can just kind of, lay down and rest Steph because then they're going to get fined by the league. So it's sort of like they've got to perhaps lose a winnable game to get them a rest. Back-to-backs, back-to-backs. I mean, you know, they got... The All-Star yeah. break's coming up. The All-Star break's not far away. But he's in that. <laughs> he's he's in that. Yeah, one. he'll have to go, but but it's not going to be nearly like, you know, the, the commitment that an All-Star weekend typically is. Um, he's not going to play heavy, you know, high intensity minutes in the game. And then even after the game, I assume they won't play until at least Friday, right? But what will be interesting coming out of the break for teams is they're going to have to intake all these players who were just vacationing and test and then, you know, figure that out. So, And then the other thing is that, you know, one of these games might be canceled coming up. We don't – like the Hornets right now are in – complete COVID protocol because they played the Spurs who just had four players test positive and have had three games canceled. Well, the Warriors have two games against the Hornets coming up, LaMelo Ball, Saturday. I don't even know if that game's going to be played at this point. So they might even get him some selective rest on accident at some point too. So at this point, with how much they need every win and honestly, how good he looks, how in shape he looks, and the fact that he has sat some fourth quarters lately because they've had some blowouts and been blown out. I'm really, I, I don't think they need to find a rest day for him. They probably logically should, but he keeps playing like this. He's not going to want to sit. No way. I mean, he's going to want to keep this going. This is what the 33 minutes is for, right? Like, this is what this is yeah, why you said exactly. 30. Yeah, but he's not going to say, you know what? Let, let me sit. He plays such a taxing style, and he is doing something all the time on offense. He is so important to what they are doing next season. I just think they should find him some more rest. I, I would be conservative with it. I just look at the amount of burden that is on him game after game. And I think A, the 33 minutes is good. And B, you might want to just throw in some random rests there. That's that's just, none of us really know medically, but that's just my take on it. I just think he's playing so well right now that, that if you if you keep the four, 34, 35, if, if you press it 38 minute limit, if he's playing like this, you, you let him keep playing. He's just this is what he's going to want to do. And how many heads will blow up in the Bay Area if he's if he's uh, sitting out a game they lose, uh, a winnable game they you know against against Indiana you know on the back to back after they play at the Knicks and and Steph isn't playing that game and they lose that game. Uh, there there would be some amount of anxiety over that one. Not that you judge anything based on that, but there would be. And yes, can he average, what was he, 6.6 a game now? 6.4. Can he average that? Yes, uh, he can average it. Because he's going he's gonna to have 10 every, you know, every fourth game, apparently, these days. So when you have the 10, 10, 8, 2, 10, 6, 5, that's how you do it. The guy is on, on some kind of uh, run here where he feels like he's going to make everyone he takes. Well, he feels that anyway, but he really feels it now. And these bad teams can't defend him. 
He's getting more open threes this season, by the way, isn't it? Like, it's unbelievable some of these open threes he's getting. They've done enough of this counteraction to get it on tape to where defenses can't only think about him anymore. They have to think about like, uh oh, they might be using him as a decoy. And that to me has been getting him up. like like I agree. I mean, obviously the attention is still heavy, but he's stepping into a lot more open threes than he was early in the season. When Kelly Oubre was uh you know, hip checking <laughs> him. Kelly Oubre was guarding him. <laughs> to Ethan's point, I mean Steph averages he's thirty fifth in the league at thirty three point seven minutes. But by virtue of games, he's 10th in total minutes at coming up on 1,000. So slightly behind Harrison Barnes and slightly ahead of Buddy Hill. So there is probably some space to get some minutes down. I mean, LeBron is 7th in minutes, which is nuts. <laughs> it's insane. Julius Randle lead the league's minutes, by the way. Thibodeau. Thibodeau, that's his all-star. This is kind of wild. We're having this conversation a week after what we did last. Week. I'm not. I'm not with the baby and Steph. I'm just not with it. Like he's the highest paid player on the team. He's in great shape. Like he's fine. And if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. Like that's the game. But if you run around trying to stop him from getting hurt, he'll never maximize. You'll never maximize him. So, like yo, this is what the 33 minutes is for. Period. I think it's more important to get him help on the roster, frankly. That's where they can really help him. Are you saying this season or in the long haul? I'm saying this season if they can do it. Just it's it is, I think, too much. It doesn't seem sustainable to me. By the way, this kind of brings us back to the beginning of the uh, what we were talking about. You look at the Warriors' profile in terms of rankings. They look like one of those Zebo era Grizzlies teams with the fifth in defense, twentieth in offense. It's very odd for a Steph Curry team to be that, but that that is resultant from there just being almost no offensive creation outside of them. Go look at what the actual defensive rating of those Zebo teams were in that era, right? I mean, I bet there was like 90, you know, they were probably defensive rating 98 and offensive rating 104. Well, now, you know, the Warriors have those similar rankings, but it's defensive rating 109. I don't know, offensive rating like 111 or something, which is not good. You're right. So, Ethan, what then would you say? Because they are pretty handcuffed roster-wise, and you don't want to expend assets, I assume, like future draft picks. You don't want to deal the Minnesota pick. I think it's got to be, like we were saying before, it's got to be Ubre. And I haven't looked at what every team might have available for a guy who can create and maybe shoot. I like the George Hill idea. Somebody like that sounds good. I do think that they should at least take a serious look at that. Any uh, any other Warriors topics or league-wide topics? There's some stuff going around. Man, this league is wild. Should we talk about whether Draymond was right about his about his rant? Is that something we should talk about? Look, whether he's right or not, I just think, man, it's it's a it's a rough time to be uh, sympathizing with people who make so much money. <laughs> like he picked a bad time to get to take that stance, just because. Uh, do you think people care that you know Andre Drummond is? feeling a little bit a certain way because he's getting 27 million dollars to not play like it was just a weird time and it, you know like i don't know but it's fun to hear it's just fun to hear Draymond no rant and it almost doesn't Absolutely. matter what he's saying 1, it's just the rhythm of it the passion of it then when you start thinking about the actual topic it's like wait a second andre Drummond, 136 million career earnings i don't know if i care <laughs> i don't know if i care about that and by the way by the way if it's wrong that is between you and that's the NBA. It's a collectively bargained uh, deal that you guys do. So if it's wrong, it's wrong. At the same time, it's just enjoyable to hear him rant. 
a lot of it was about the I, I felt like the rhetoric around yes uh, yes it and and the way he's used the same point on the Marquise Chris situation in Phoenix that it's always hey why can't this young guy figure it out it is is usually how it's framed when his point is it, why is it never hey why can't this organization figure it out although I would say Phoenix has, has taken its criticism over the years but in general I would agree that people say it's you know, the media at times as a conglomerate seems to almost take the ownership down a pro, you know, uh, talk. I mean, what do you think about that point? I mean, it's like he's right in that in these situations, like there is a bit of a double standard, but it's that way because we're all employees. Like we all have to deal with it. Right. So I don't know why, like people are going to understand that this is how it works. If you look at the comments, everybody's like, duh, he's an employee. Like, this is how it goes. So I think the better way they can communicate this is that they're not employees, right? Is that they're partners with the NBA ownership and they get 50% of the revenue. But as long as, I mean, we all have to deal with employee employers, right? So I think people are always going to look at this situation from their perspective, which is, man, I couldn't get away with that. How could, how, how come he gets to? And these situations were all a little bit different. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if these guys are getting killed necessarily. I think Hardin was to a certain extent, but he's also partying with strippers, maskless, and showing up out of shape after the trade demand. And it comes off coming up short in the playoffs year after year. There's just a lot going into how everybody reacts to the situation. And I don't know if that situation has a whole lot to do with the Harrison Barnes situation, which might have more to do with timing and how these teams don't want to tell everybody everything because then they can't get something done. So I just don't know if all of these situations were the same thing. And I, I think it's a fair point that the organization informs a lot of how these guys end up doing and should be blamed for continual failures. But who's really going to bat for Robert Sarver and the Suns, right? Who's saying that all of their problems are the fault of the players that they that they drafted and they traded for? They're doing a little, you know, they're doing pretty well. I mean, I, I could say the Knicks, or I could throw out other examples. That does seem to be part of the conversation. I, I know it doesn't seem that way to Draymond, but I think it is. Uh, he also sprinkled something in there uh, that I think frustrates him and that's the fine he got for for speaking on devin booker's situation the fine that anthony he should have been fine for that like that's that's silly yeah and i think that you know i think that informs a lot of what he was saying is like he the nba will punish him for saying that the nba will punish anthony davis for forcing his way out that's stupid he can't be on the desk at inside and feel like he has to just tiptoe around landmines like that. And also teams shouldn't be able to get away with leaking the information and then throwing their hands up like we ain't had nothing to do with that. Like the report is, you know, Andre Drummond is not going to play because we're gonna trade him. And then the dude actually doesn't play. Like where did where did where's the reports coming from? They should be held accountable for that. Technically they are not allowed to talk about trades like technically teams are not allowed to do that but they have the back door out of uh well that was the media when it's very obvious that they're just you know using the media to say it so it's just a different mouthpiece but there's no penalty for them i think that's weak that they get to say oh well we didn't actually say anything about it we just leaked all the information so it can get out there like I said, I framed it as an important week for the Warriors. You have 
the Heat, which you know sounds a lot more threatening than they've been lately. I believe they're eleven and sixteen right now, um, which is kind of crazy. Then you have Magic, as we've seen, very beatable. Hornets, who will be off this week leading up into that game, which could make them rusty. And then Pacers and Knicks or Knicks Pacers. Is Wiseman is Wiseman going to be back for that Hornets game? It's that's, possible. That's... It's it. I don't know. We'll, so. we'll know more in a few days. I agree. But they do play the Hornets again a week later, I think, or like maybe 10 days later, and he should at least be back for that one. Those five games, to me, if they are gaining the momentum we think they might be, if, as Marcus Thompson is suddenly throwing them in as a dark horse title contender, which was bold, then I think they need to go 4-1. and one. Dark horse Western Conference Finals contender? Can we go with that? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> no, if they're that, then they're a title nah. I love Marcus's take on this. I, I don't agree. I don't even I agree. This. I'm just saying we just ruled it out arbitrarily. Like, I mean, not arbitrarily. We just ruled it out. And I'm wondering, hey, look at these other teams, man. They they aren't impressing me that much. But go ahead. Sorry. Should we have called the Miami Dolphins a, a Super Bowl contender when they were an average NFL team in the middle of the season? Just, I don't know. To me, they need to go four and one over this five games. They need too strong. It's four road games. Pacers are tough. There's probably another loss in their heat are definitely not, you know, that'll be a very, uh, you know, difficult game to end the homestand. But I don't know. I mean, like three and two is a must. You can't go two and three over this stretch. Four and one is, I know internally what they're targeting. They need to get away from this whole never being more than two games over 500. Do you have a prediction? Are they currently in the five-game stretch we haven't finished yet? We were doing the four-game homestand that we were saying. I think everyone said two and two, but they have a chance to go three and one. Nah, they got to they gotta go three and two in the, on the road. Three and one on the road trip. I think they got to go three and one on the road trip. Especially with home court, home court advantages doesn't matter as much, do it seems. So it seems like it's, uh, it's a good opportunity. Ultimately, what's wanted... Hey, it shouldn't be taken for granted that they take care of business against these bad teams. But I think the fans, the fans demand a win or two against. Come the good on, they team. beat the Clippers. So that's what the Relax. fan base wants. They beat the they beat. <laughs> yeah by the skin of their teeth. I mean, my, my God, delivering a miracle. Beat the Lakers. They got wins over the Clippers and Lakers and the vaunted, vaunted. In a while, Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> they got two wins over winning records. Problem is everybody is under five hundred, yeah. so it's like yeah. all these all these big wins. There's only like seven teams to select from. Oh, Portland, Portland's the other one. Yeah, they'd be Portland. Oh yeah, okay, there you go. So yeah, that's that's the uh, yeah Dallas is under five hundred, so they've got a win over. Oh, Spurs are sixteen and eleven. My goodness, yeah, I keep Spurs are sixteen and eleven. They they have two wins over the Spurs. One, two, which three, by the way, four, I've seen three Spurs five. games. They do not look good to me. Unbelievable how they keep winning. I don't understand this at all. I don't get it. To be five games over five hundred, I I don't I don't get it with that with that roster. How they looked against the Warriors. Dallas is interesting and how disappointing they've been. And I do wonder if there's going to be some sort of shakeup there if they don't really if they don't make the playoffs. I think expectations expectations does that. So, yeah. Anyway. Remains to be seen. All right, I think we've done enough for done enough damage for today. Caused enough controversy. Got enough aggregation. What do you say? You're gonna get aggregated just with your optimism. Yeah, my questioning of your pessimism is what I'm doing, which is what we do here at Warriors Plus Minus. Until next week, we will be over 500 as a podcast next week. Well over 500. Boom. <laughs>